You know, a lot of uh, Jesus' healing stories are pretty relatable to us. You know, when Jesus heals the man born blind, we understand blindness. There's a lot of different causes for blindness, accident, illness, genetics. Man was blind, then he could see. That's pretty easy to relate to. Uh, the person that had the withered hand, okay? Withered hand, we see. Now the withered hand is functional. That's pretty relatable. The person who had um, had, had some kind of a, a mobility issue, physical disability mobility issue that the gospel recorders refer to as lame, okay? We see people in wheelchairs and walkers and canes that have mobility issues. We see it, we understand it, and there's lack of mobility, and then there's mobility. We, we, can, we can grasp that pretty easily. But the text that Bill read earlier is something that is altogether different. It's vexing for us because it is so far outside of our experience. I mean, we live in a rational, scientific world, and the whole notion of demon possession is something that is difficult to get our minds around. You know, what, what, what could it have been? I mean, if we don't buy the idea of personified evil in the, in the person of demons, that it's difficult to understand what it is that was going on in this text. Now, over the years, I've heard people refer to demon possession as recorded in the gospel as something having to do perhaps with mental illness. You know, some form of mental illness, schizophrenia or, or uh, you know, and there's a point, I think, that you could get made in that, but it's a fraught point because I think that it, it lends itself to stigmatizing mental illness even further. And we don't want to get into the weeds about that because the, because the reality is within the context of first century Palestine, we don't understand what qualified or what counted as demon possession. We, we just don't. The one thing that we know, though, from the story is that the way this man is presented, he's, he's a loathsome and, and fearsome individual. I mean, imagine somebody who is so strong, so active, so belligerent, so violent that, that you couldn't constrain him in any kind of way. They tried shackles, he broke the shackles. They tried chains, he broke the chains. Okay? Pretty soon, it's easier just to, like, be away. And it actually worked out pretty well because this, this man, as Mark records, possessed by a demon, was living, living in the tombs. He was a living man, but living with death. Living amongst dead people. And I can imagine that, the, that his fellow villagers were probably... Okay, we only have to go to the cemetery once in a while, so if that's where you want to be, you just go, you do you, and we'll feel pretty safe doing that. It's easy to do, right? Out of sight, out of mind. It's easier to avoid when the solutions that are before us um, don't seem to work. But this loathsome man is still a man. Hear that? This loathsome man that is easy to push aside and separate is still a man. 
okay? Hold on to that. Stick a pin in that. We're going to come back. Now, Jesus is a long way from home. He is way outside of the bounds of Israel. He is amongst people who are culturally, religiously very different. And there was a great deal of animosity between Jews and the Gentile world that always was pushing against their borders. And I can imagine that there were plenty of people who looked at what Jesus was doing and said, why are you even here? And probably his disciples were among the people saying to Jesus, why are we even here? This makes less than no sense. If you're the Messiah that's come to save and restore the kingdom to Israel, shouldn't we be there? Shouldn't we be doing all of this good work there? Why are we here? I would imagine people of this region thought the same thing for different reasons. Why are you here? You don't belong here. Because you see, the animosity cut both ways. So here is Jesus in this position, an outsider, a stranger in a strange land, and he comes upon this scene. And what follows is, is still, and I was, was trying to wrap my head around this even still uh, yesterday, uh, and truthfully, true confessions, I've been trying to wrap my mind around this next piece for a really, really long time, as I'm sure if you're familiar. Because what follows makes less than no sense. Jesus has this conversation with this demon referred to as legion because there's a bunch of them. Of them in there. And so they have this what, what sounds almost like a rational conversation, where this manifestation of evil, this thing that is in this man but not of this man, that's perpetrating all kinds of violence against this man and through him to all of the people in the village. And now Jesus is having like a normal conversation. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. But here they are. They're having this conversation. And the, 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 the demon named Legion says, okay, I've got a plan. How about you just let me go, and I'll go into the pigs, those pigs over on the hillside, which seems like a pretty easy thing because, well, after all, you're Jewish and you care about pigs, so this is kind of like my easy way out. And Jesus just says, yeah, whatever. Go ahead, go. Jesus giving permission for the for Legion to go and occupy the pigs, probably knowing full well what would happen is the pigs lost their mind and ran off into the ran off the cliff and into the water. And the we assume that Legion is done for. And the pigs off the cliff into the water, Legion dies. I have a feeling it's probably not that easy. But we don't know. We don't know. So what do we what do we do with something like this? How do we make sense of a text that is that it, in its presentation is so far outside of our own uh, our our own view of the world, our own assumptions, our own understanding of how the world works? What do we do? Where do we find meaning? Where do we find value? Where do we find something that can 
guide us, strengthen us, help us in dealing with our own difficult situations? Where do we find uh, a thread to pull to know how to respond when it would be would when it would be easier for us to not respond when it would be easier for us to walk away let's come back to the man the man when legion leaves he's sitting clothed calm breathing, free air for the first time in God knows how long. This is more than just a healing story. This is more than Jesus just restoring sight to somebody who was blind or restoring mobility to somebody who was, who was, um, who was hobbled or somebody with a withered hand having the hand be restored when Jesus gives permission for Legion to leave, man, hear that? He's liberating him. He's setting him free. In this setting uh, him free, he restores his humanity beyond this man has regained the full measure of his humanity. We're, we're living in a world and in a time, and our even our recent history is full, filled with many, many instances of people who are using words and actions and legislation to dehumanize people in the human community. To dehumanize people in the human community, around, pick whatever it is that divides us, and there are people who are looking to dehumanize another, just as a reality. And yet that cuts against the grain of, of everything that we believe in the gospel, because Jesus is about liberating and restoring not only health, not only well-being, but restoring the full measure of humanity to anybody who's burdened in a way that, 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 that wants to push them aside or escape or live amongst the tombs because it's just easier. And this man is liberated. He's restored. And he wants to follow Jesus, which was kind of a common theme. And remember in Mark's gospel, when he's, when he's uh, in Capernaum or when he's in Jerusalem or Judea and he's, and he's healing somebody, he'll often say, okay, shh, 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 shh. don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Not yet. Keep it a secret as if that was going to happen. But here... The man says, I want to I follow you. He realizes what's happened. He says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no. Not because Jesus doesn't need more friends, especially in a strange land. Mind for this man. He says, go. 
Go and tell your family. Go and tell your friends. Go show them what's happened. You realize what he's done? I mean, we talk about the call of the disciples, right? Simon and Andrew and Peter and James and John and Matthew and all the rest of them. But we don't often talk about the man who was set free in a foreign land. He is called to be a witness. In that moment, he is called by Jesus to go and tell the story. To go and not not just speak the words, but just be present. To reflect, to extend, to embody the life-giving, humanity-restoring grace that he received in Jesus. He is called to be a walking, talking example of Jesus in this strange land. And he does it. He does it. He goes and he tells the story. Now, we don't know anything that happened beyond that. But how, how could his family, how could his friends, who knew what was going on, not be moved? to see this person who was maybe, for all intents and purposes, dead, <laughs> or certainly easier to consider as if he was dead because it was safer. And now here he is standing before. Friends, this, this passage reminds us of the liberating grace of God in our own lives. Have you had times and moments in your life where you just felt it would be easier to escape? Where your life, your career, your family, your relationships were so challenging that you just couldn't see a way through? Or having health questions, or health scares, or, or chronic illnesses and ongoing treatment that it's just easier to escape? Or have you known people that were so difficult to relate to, so bent on, on doing harm and violence to others that you just, you, you just have to walk away for your own well-being. Sometimes that does happen. But even in the midst of those difficult situations, the, the same grace, the same liberation, the same healing that provided new life to this man is there for us as well. It's there for all of us to experience, to feel liberation. I've had more experiences that I can remember off the top of my head where I felt just worn down. And sometimes unexpectedly and in, from unexpected quarters, this liberating grace comes. In that moment, I can, I can relate to the man sitting there and just breathing again as if I'd been holding my breath. And we who have experienced this grace are empowered because of this grace to embody it in everything that we do. If we want to understand what the healing of this man and the restoration of this man means for us, 
it's that. That precisely that we can, we can embody this grace, not just in what we say, but where we choose to be, with whom we choose to relate, the ways that we, that we choose to empower others to find healing and wholeness and hope in their life. And we know people, and we see people on the street every day to be set free in the same way. It's our call who have received it. It's our call to share this. One last thought. When I was in seminary in the late 80s, there was a movement that began in Central America in the church called Liberation Theology. There were people, there were poor people who were living in rural parts of Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, that were, that were seeking to live faithfully in any way they could. So they gathered as scripture called them and they shared what was, you know, in common they shared meals, they shared resources, they lived together, they sang together, they worshiped together, they did all of this. And there was an idea of a communal theology that was raised up out of it that was given the title Liberation Theology. But it wasn't long after I graduated and was reflecting on, okay, what does liberation theology that's born out of a Latin American experience mean for us living in the developed world? And the conclusion that I came to was this. All theology, all conversation about God and trying to understand who God is and where God is in our life, all theology is liberation theology. Because the grace of God that we know fulfilled in Jesus Christ is about liberating all of us from our separation, from our brokenness, from our fear, from our uncertainty, from our, 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 our need to shrink back for the sake of safety. We are liberated to new life that we might liberate others. Sometimes it just starts with that. A deep breath where the healing grace of God is at work. And for that gift, we say thanks be to God. Amen.